Father, thank you for this gift of your word. It is truly a gift to have your revelation available to us in so many ways. Digitally, in print form, on the internet, just so many, many opportunities for us to get into your word. The freedom we have in this country is tremendous. Help us now as we dig into your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move on each heart and mind here. Pray that no one would be left to themselves, but everyone would be helped by you. Convict us, encourage us, push us further than we've gone. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, tonight we're going to be talking about hospitality. Now, hospitality is one of those interesting themes in the Bible and in our culture. And I want to talk about hospitality under three headings. Biblical hospitality, barriers to hospitality, and then the hospitality of God. So first we'll do biblical hospitality. What do you think of when you hear the word hospitality? Like what comes to mind? For some of us, it's making people feel welcome when they are in your house. For some of us, it's a committee at your church, like the hospitality committee. And they take care of decorating for special events and setting up uh, special events. Maybe uh, cooking a holiday meal at your house and calling relatives over for uh, Christmas and Easter and other birthdays and gatherings and you being hospitable. How about uh, sweet decorations, maybe flowers or a beautifully decorated space, and that might bring uh, images to your mind when you think of hospitality. Well, the dictionary helps us. The dictionary would define hospitality as this, the friendly reception and treatment of guests or strangers. Let me read that again. The friendly reception and treatment of guests or strangers. Now, biblical hospitality is very similar to that, but the focus would be more on the stranger. And so let me read you a biblical definition of hospitality. Generous to guests and the loving of strangers. Generous to guests and the loving of strangers. People you don't know, people that really actually might be very strange to you people that you would not normally engage with, or you might see them on this side of the road and walk to the other side of the road. The stranger, and to everyone, someone is strange to you, or multiple people might be strange to you. The stranger, well, Baker's Encyclopedia of the Bible would define hospitality like this. The biblical concept often used with the terms guest, stranger, and sojourner guest, stranger, and sojourner, it's useful to limit the meaning of hospitality to benevolence done to those outside one's normal circle of friends. So we're now talking about people outside your normal circles of influence, people you don't know, people strange to you, not in relationship with you, as implied in the literal meaning of the Greek word, love of strangers. So what we're talking about tonight is you loving those who you might not even know yet, or those in your employment who you find strange and other people find strange. That neighbor down the street who you don't know and is very strange and you don't even want to talk to them. You drive right past them and you think they're so strange you don't even look at them because you don't want to wave. Who, Who is the stranger to you? The guy downtown 
who's talking to himself, walking, having a conversation with apparently someone, the stranger, okay? So the simplest way for us to get a hold of this, I think, is to read a quote from this book, which is really helpful. The simplest way to change the world, biblical hospitality as a way of life. I dare you to get this book and read it. <laughs> the simplest way to change the world. Now, I'm going to talk about this real quick. We often think world change only happens from hero Christians, like the famous podcaster, the missionary who goes to China or the Middle East, the doctorate level three times over, the publisher of massive works and volumes, the, you know, the sermon library for 40 years guy. These are world changers. But when we think about ourselves, we think, man, what could I do? But listen, you, my friends, average Christians, not superhero Christians, are the people that God uses to change the world. Do you realize that? Sure, God uses those others, but listen, he wants to use you. And we always think through some kind of massive event, some kind of big thing happening, God will move on our city, the United States, the world. But listen, what if God wants to use you in your normal everyday rhythms of life to change the world? Maybe. So here's a, here's a quick quote from this book. For many whose lives feel ordinary, being a part of God's mission to reverse the curse on creation and introduce those who are far from God to a real and close relationship with him feels unattainable, impractical, and overwhelming. We've given up on the hope that we can actually change the world. Because when would we do so? There isn't much time left between waking up, rushing to work, eating meals, and preparing for the next day. But what if we told you that you could actually change the world right from your own home? Or maybe those whom you live with. Right from your own home. If you desire to join God's mission but have no clue what it looks like in a normal life, we have good news for you. You already have access to the ultimate game-changing weapon that will transform the entire way you think about your life as a part of God's mission. The secret weapon for global advancement is hospitality. Hospitality. And you can practice it whether you live in a house, an apartment, a dorm, or a high-rise. It takes only your willingness to open your home and life to others. Now, for some of you, that is frightening. <laughs> for some of you, this, even talk of this is giving you anxiety and panic attacks. <laughs> You're like, I cannot open up my life or my home to anyone. Okay? What we're talking about here, biblical hospitality, is befriending and gospeling. Befriending and gospeling. Gospeling is a word that I made up, and it, it means this. It's you living out the gospel in such a way that demands a gospel answer, and you give the gospel answer. Like, wh why would you do that? Why would you be so nice to me or kind to me? Why would you serve me and not want something from me? Well, you need to have a gospel answer for that. Be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you, but do this with what? Gentleness and respect. 
You see, it's you living in such a way that demands a gospel answer. The hope of forgiveness, cleansing, reconciliation, and inclusion into God's family through Jesus, that's our answer. So why would I go to someone who I don't know and help them fix and remodel their house and not ask for any payment or anything from them? And this person would say, why would you do this? And I would say, well, God has been so good to me through Jesus that I want to be good to you as an act of love towards him. It's a simple gospel answer. You think it's not going to wreck someone's world to give a gospel answer for why you would do the things you do that is so abnormal? Let's look at Luke 14 for a second. Luke 14, the context is this. Jesus is, in Luke 14, one, one Sabbath day when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. So the context is Jesus is at a Pharisee's home and they're watching him closely. Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath. They're upset. Uh, He tells the parable of honoring yourself at a feast and rather he says, take the lower seats and then be called up rather than taking the higher seats and then be said, hey, this isn't for you. You go sit in the lower seats. Don't honor yourself by sitting in the best seats. Take the humility route and sit in the lower seats and then be called up to the better seats and you will be honored in front of all. And then following that, Jesus begins in verse 12. He also said to the man who had invited him, that would be the Pharisee, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and be repaid. Uh Uh-oh. But when you give a feast, how many of us feast every single day? I do. Man, there's so much food on the table, I can't even finish it. It's like, oh. My daughter didn't finish her food. I'm like, I don't know if I can finish it. That's a feast, guys. When you have a feast... Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, here's what Jesus is not saying here. Jesus, we know, is a master of hyperbole, which means exaggerated and inflated speech to make a point. Okay? Later, just after this, in uh, Verse 26, he says this, Whoever does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, even his own life cannot be my disciple. Well, that doesn't directly contradict the greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? It's exaggerated language to make a point. What Jesus is saying in verse 26 is, if your mother or your brother or your husband and wife or children get in the way of me and you choose them over me, friend, You cannot be my disciple and make it into the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's saying. And he's saying that the love you have for Jesus must exceed, go beyond brother, sister, father, mother, son, daughter, relationship. And if they would get in between you and say, it's me or Jesus, friends, you have a choice. And Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father who is in heaven. I mean, that's what he's saying. But he's not saying you need to hate your immediate family exaggerated language to make a point that Jesus is the most important person in your life and so in the same way he's not saying every time you have a dinner you need to invite only the poor only the crippled only the lame only the blind maybe you don't even know a blind person he's saying that you should not only be inviting friends and family and those whom you're comfortable with over all the time this is a call for you to live life with strangers 
People whom you don't know and people whom the world rejects. Now listen, it might not actually be a lame person, but it might be someone who you know doesn't have a lot of friends. Or it might be that strange person at your work. You know, maybe this looks like you taking that person to Starbucks or to, you know, TGI Fridays on your break or something and buying them dinner and just getting to know them a little bit. Maybe they're so isolated because they're so strange that no one talks to them. Maybe you could be that one person that goes and talks to them. This is the love of strangers. Let's look at another verse. This is, this is fantastic that we can do this so quickly. This is the entire book of 3 John. It's one chapter. And it's kind of all about hospitality. So I'm going to read it basically, stop in the middle for a second, and we're done with 3 John. The elder, that would be John, to the beloved Gaius, that's the friend whom he's writing to, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, that would be Gaius, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So he's wishing him uh, good health and a good uh, heart, attitude, soul, spirit. That's good for you to wish and bless any of your friends with. That's a good thing, just as you would want them to bless you in that way. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. Now that's strange, your truth. It, it means that Gaius is holding on to the faith once for all delivered to the saints. He's holding on to the body of truth, the apostolic teaching. Right? They gathered in Acts 2 under the apostles' teaching, broke bread and daily met in homes. This is the, the solid foundation, the gospel. As indeed you are walking in the truth. So he's not only holding to it, I believe this, but now he's living it out. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. Now listen, strangers as they are. So now he's commending Gaius for doing efforts for strangers who testified to your love before the church. So now news has got back to John that this brother Gaius is loving strangers. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Now these would be traveling evangelist missionaries who need somewhere to stay, safe, and he's asking this brother Gaius to fund them as they go. So listen, he says, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. That means not just, hey, let me pray for you. Send them with some money. Take care of them. Send them with some food. Love them. Even though you don't know these people, they're strangers to you, but they are brothers and sisters in Christ. Now watch this. Therefore, we ought to support people like these. That we, now this is beautiful, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Listen, when we do this kind of hospitality and we even fund this kind of work, we take part in their work. Right? So even a cup of cold water in my name will not lose its reward. John is saying here to Gaius that as they go out and do missionary work and evangelize and plant churches, so do you with them by supporting them and funding them. Even though you don't even know them. Strangers. Yet commended by John the Apostle. So we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephus, I don't know, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority, talking about the apostolic authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, 
taking, ta- talking wicked nonsense against us and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. So this, this man is not bringing in strangers. He's not welcoming others. He's not being hospitable. He refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. There's something wrong with this guy. He is self-centered. He's selfish. He's opposing the work of the gospel. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. So the one that's doing it, he's calling good. The one who's opposing it, he's calling evil. Okay, good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and is from the truth itself. That would be the gospel. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write it in pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. So if you've never read 3 John before, boom, you got it. The whole thing. Touchdown. That's right. But this is really a letter about supporting strangers through hospitality for gospel work. Maybe you've never realized that before. This whole 3 John is about hospitality, the very thing that we are talking about. And I I just want to emphasize here that when we take part in this, if they are Christians, like maybe a Phillips who's coming to visit us, we are doing that work with him as he goes to do that work. Like friends, as we welcome a stranger in, now let's, let's talk about the church for just a minute. When someone comes into this church who is not from here or of this church, like a face that you don't see often, listen, our immediate reaction needs to be wild hospitality, friends. Like more welcoming than someone can handle. Okay? We need to be loving strangers and never being like it's just us four and what? No more. We never want to have that attitude in the church, ever. Our attitude is always more, more, more friends, more people to love on, more people to disciple, more lost people to introduce to Christ, more friends and beloved to serve. Okay, That should be our attitude when someone walks into this Eternal City Church, whether in a gospel-centered community, on a first Friday, or into our worship gatherings. We want to be hospitable People, Peter says in, in uh, 1 Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So what does that imply? Peter says without grumbling. That means that this is not going to be easy work. This is going to be hard work. And you will be tempted to grumble. You know what grumble means? It's a low-level complaining. It's like under your breath walking away saying something. And someone's like, what'd you say? Nothing. You're grumbling. And and so if you do this kind of work, the temptation is going to be to grumble against people because, oh, they didn't appreciate what I did or, oh, they, you know, all kinds of things happen when you start welcoming in strangers. It's hard work, but it's good work. It's gospel work, and we're commanded to do it. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Okay, the idea is to love and welcome the stranger or the outsider. We're not against the outsider, whoever they may be, okay? We love the outsider. We love the stranger. We are God's children. And God is calling out to the stranger, to the outsider, come in, come in, come in. 
All right, let's do the next uh, point very quickly. Barriers to hospitality. How many of you have ever been to the ocean and know what riptides are? See a riptide? Okay, so I was just in uh, South Carolina at the beach, and as you come out onto this long pathway into the sand dunes, and here's the beach, this massive sign is right here, and it shows the ocean, and it shows in the middle of the ocean a person, like, you know, men's room, women's room type of graphic, and this person is like, you know, in this shaky water going out into the ocean. A riptide is a tide that comes upon you out of nowhere and it just shoots straight out into the ocean. And if you're in it, all of a sudden you just feel pull on your body and it's pulling you out. It's frightening. And your immediate tendency is to go against it and push back this way, like to go towards shore. And all of a sudden you're like on a treadmill, but you're in water and, and you're going backwards in water. So does anyone know what you should do if you're in a riptide? Teddy, you know. That's right, you swim diagonal. You, you don't swim against it, you swim right or left, and you get out of the riptide, and then you're safe, and then you can swim to shore. But listen, guys, this, what we're talking about, goes so against our culture, it's like being stuck in a riptide. Listen, our culture says your home is your sanctuary, and you need to protect it and keep the stranger out. Like, put up security cameras, um, you know, have all the windows and doors alarmed. Keep several guns on your person, under your pillow, and you better have some machetes on the wall, too. Okay? Now, I'm not against home protection. Okay? I'm actually for home protection. But what, what the point is, that can get so extreme that our home and our property becomes ours, and it's like, you coming near my yard there? You better not step on my lawn. Get off my lawn. You know, and the idea is that that's not hospitality. That's you protecting your compound. And see, the culture wants us to say, this is my home. This is where I find peace. This is where I find sanctuary. This is where I find peace. And listen, guys, the gospel can only give you the peace you're looking for, not your home. Okay, so we need to say, you know what? My home is God's. It's not really mine. And I actually need to be finding my rest and peace in him and not in my home. You're like, man, I just want to lay on the couch. I want to turn on Netflix and I want to binge watch for about four hours, turn my cell phone off and don't bother me. Right? Come on. And this is what our media encourages us to do because they want you to watch more. Like more. Come on. Get the Hulu app too. Get the Netflix app. Amazon Prime, like get them all. You got all the time in the world if you neglect everyone else and everything else. But see, our culture is like being stuck in a riptide when it comes to hospitality, isn't it? Because it takes time for you to spend time with people who are strangers. And who wants to spend time with strangers? Gospel people do, friends. Gospel people want to spend time with the stranger because Jesus Christ has called us to this. And if you want to change the world, you won't do it by binge-watching Netflix, Amazon Prime, and Hulu. You won't. And, and, and as far as it goes for me, I don't want to stand before Jesus Christ on Judgment Day and Him go, so how was that series, that series, that series, that series, that series, that series? And that, that was... That was one week. You want me to go to the next week? How was that series, that series, that series? No, I'm serious. For some of you, this is a reality. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. 
That kind of lifestyle it does not mesh with biblical hospitality. But listen, I'm not saying you couldn't call a stranger over and you guys sit together and watch something. You could do that. And then talk afterward. You could do that. So like you could still enjoy dinner with someone. You could still enjoy watching your show with someone. You could still, well, you can't really Snapchat someone across the couch. That's weird. I know you, you young people do it, but that's just weird, guys. We need to stop that. Look at each other in the eye and talk. All right? Look, they're all laughing because they all do it. We can tell the generational gap here. All right. So one is, so the first barrier is there, there is a riptide effect against this biblical hospitality in our culture. We're being sucked away from this like crazy. And listen, I'm encouraging you, swim right, swim left. Swim right, swim left. How about this one? I'm introverted. This is the barrier. I'm introverted. Like, I, I hate talking to people. They make me nervous. As soon as I see someone new, my heart starts pounding and I almost have a panic attack. I can't get near people. Well, you need to pray, friends. And, and here's what we're not asking you to do. We're not saying have 70 people over your house. Like, we're saying invite, man, if you're super introverted, have someone, one over. Or have someone meet you at a Starbucks to ease into this. Or if you don't drink Starbucks, go to uh, Baskin and Robbins or the little yogurt place where they weigh out eight bucks a pound, the, the little frozen yogurts. Right? Don't add a strawberry to that. That's a $10 strawberry, man. Don't do it. But seriously, you can do this with one other person. And the proof is you have a friend or two. I know us introverts have less friends than the extroverts. But listen, you can invite a stranger in. And here's the thing, listen. The stranger is probably like kind of frightened too, maybe. And so maybe what you're feeling, they're feeling, but yet if you invite them in and God's in the mix, he might move. So we're not asking you to throw massive parties every week or every other day. Invite someone, one, two, into your life that God might change their life. You could do that, right? One person, two persons. You can do this, guys, even you introverts. I don't have time. Don't give me that. You have all the time that you make time for. Right? Whatever you make time for, you have time for. Now listen, I, I have options to work more hours at work and I get more money. And sometimes I have to be like, okay, ministry opportunities or more hours for more money. What's more important? I'm not saying don't pay the bills or neglect your responsibilities. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying priorities determine time. It's not that you don't have time. It's that what are your priorities? And again, you eat usually two to three meals a day. And listen, you could invite someone in. Like if you eat lunch alone at the office, could you be hospitable and invite someone into that? You could. That's a way to show hospitality. Hey, come here. I want to talk to you. You never talked to me in 10 years. Well, sorry. Let's talk now. What's your name? You've been sitting next to me for 10 years and now you want to ask my name? Yeah, I'm sorry. What's your name? You can do this. You can do this, guys. Okay, I don't know how. I don't know how to do this. That's, that's a barrier. Listen, here's where prayer comes in. You can pray and ask God, God, Show me how to love my neighbor as myself. 
Because, listen, whatever you would have done unto you, you know exactly what to do to someone else. Like, if you don't want to be acted rudely towards, man, don't act rudely towards other people. If you would like someone to acknowledge you as you walk past, well, acknowledge them. If, if you get upset when you're behind someone and they let the door close and like, and so you could have held the door for me, you said in your head, not out loud. Like, hold the door for someone else then. And, and see, it's not that hard. I don't know what to do. Do what you would have them do to you. So if it would be nice for them to talk to you and be polite and be gracious and invite, do it to them. Sometimes it's just God... I don't know what to say. Open my mouth. This is terrifying. I'm advancing towards them. Hey, how you doing? And all of a sudden, God steps in. And he's giving you the words to say. And he has orchestrated the whole thing from the beginning. And you're playing the part now all of a sudden. Listen, God has not left us to ourselves in all of this discipleship. He is going before us. He has good work, listen, prepared in advance for us to do, friends. He has predestined these things for us. Okay, and the last barrier. Last barrier is I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I know that this is probably the biggest one for a lot of us. It's just I'm afraid of people. And for some of us, I've heard this confessed in my hearing. Well, I just hate people. They were, this is a Christian I've heard this from, and they're bold enough to be honest with a smile on their face. I just hate people. Well, that's a problem. Because, John says in 1 John, how can you say you love God whom you've not seen when you can't love your neighbor whom you have seen? That's a problem if you hate people, guys. You need to do a heart check because maybe your heart's never been changed and that means you're unregenerate and that means God is opposed to you and not for you. If you find yourself absolutely repelled by people, I can't stand people, get out of my face, you may not be a Christian. I'm serious. Okay, I'm not condemning you. But I'm saying, you need to check yourself. If, you, if that's your heart, like, I just can't stand people, you may not be a Christian. Because God changes our hearts in such a way that we begin to love our neighbor as ourself. That's what the Holy Spirit does. God is love, and in Him is no darkness at all. When God comes to live in you, what comes out of you is love. And not hate. Friends, I love you, and so I'm telling you this. And so here's my, here's my encouragement. I'm afraid. Pray. Pray and ask God to take away your fear and continue to pray it for years. Let me say that again. Pray and continually pray that God would take away your fear and pray it for years until he does. Because this is the truth. This is the truth. It's 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but what? Power. Love. Self-control. That's the truth. The enemy might have given you some lies, and you believe them. You might have told yourself some lies. Some of your family members when you were young might have told you some lies, and you believe them, and you've been feeding off them and living off them since you were a kid. But listen, God has not given you a spirit of fear. Power, love, and self-control. And I want to be gracious to you who are afraid, because listen, when I did a uh, Dynamics of Biblical Counseling course with David Pallison, I had to do a spiritual inventory, and guess what my number one sin was that I wanted God to change? It was fear of man. So if, if, if this is your barrier tonight, I'm afraid, I'm saying, I'm with you. This freaks me out. But you know what? You step into the afraid and uncomfortable zone, and God shows up. 
God shows up in the uncomfortable place, friends. Do you want God to show up in your life? Step into what makes you absurdly uncomfortable and invite him into that. Say, God, I want to meet you. You're over there. That's the uncomfortable. This is the comfortable. I'm tempted to stay here, but you know what? I'm coming over. I'm coming over. Oh my gosh, I'm coming over. Oh my gosh, God is here. I'm serious, guys. Step into the uncomfortable and see God show up in your life. If you're bored with this thing called Christianity, it's because you've been living a too comfortable life and you need to step out of your comfort zone and engage with God by engaging with others. It's time. It's time to stop playing. You can do this. All right, the hospitality of God, and we're done. Ephesians 2 is all about being dead in trespasses and sins. We sang it. But God, being rich in mercy, has made us alive when we were dead. And a result of this is that we are reconciled when once we were far away. So I'm going to read to you Ephesians 2, 11, and I'm going to move through the passage. But listen for us as strangers and God saying, come on in. Come on in. Be included. Be welcomed in. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles, that would be all non-Jewish people, us, I'm assuming, you Gentiles at one time in the flesh called the uncircumcision, that was meaning you're outside of the people of God, you don't have the sign of the covenant, you are not the people of God. We were called by that, and we were called that by the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants and promises, having no hope and without God in the world. That sounds terrible to me. If that sounds inviting to you, you are in the darkness and you need to come into the light. Because friends, being a stranger, being separated from Christ, being alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, we're not talking about the Jewish nation or people, we're talking about the people of God, alienated. But listen, but, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, strangers, have been brought near, how? By the blood of Christ. For he himself, the person, he himself is our peace. Not your home. Not your quiet time after work. Not your zone. Jesus is your peace, friends. And the Holy Spirit produces it. Love, joy, peace. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both, Jew, Gentile, one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and its commandments expressed in ordinances that, we, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. This is God joining together what was once separated. And for our purposes, I just want to say there's a lot of people who you know, who you're connected to either by street or neighborhood or job or whatever, who are this. They're alienated. They're strangers. They're not connected to the kingdom of God. They don't know peace. And so they're looking for it everywhere else. Like we wonder why people are addicted and they're alcoholics. It's not because they're sinners. You're a sinner. It's because they're looking for peace in that, and it will never deliver. And so they have to go back over and over and over again. You know peace. You need to introduce them to peace. His name is Jesus. Friends, we need to kill this self-righteousness that dwells in our hearts, that looks at the stranger and says, if you were just more righteous like me. You're not righteous. Your only hope is Christ, not you and any of your goodness. 
Listen, your righteousness is a filthy rag before God. In fact, the literal translation is your righteousnesses are filthy rags to God. When you try to bring them before him and say, accept me, be pleased by me, look how great and awesome and clean I am, he says, no, you're not. You're self-deceived. But if we see ourselves in desperate need of a Savior, only cleansed by his washing, our only hope is Christ, then listen, we can look at all the strangers out there and say, I'm just like you. So now it's confession time. Um, the other night I was down at day, I was down at the South Side, uh, LA Fitness working, and I was walking around, and I just, I have no idea where it came from, but it came. I'm looking around at all the people, and this self-righteousness just washed over me. And I could just feel their unrighteousness, like going after money, going after the opposite sex, going after your own glory. And I just, I felt this wave of self-righteousness, like sinners. Just looking. And God mercifully, graciously was like, you idiot, you are just like them, all of them. And I was like, I am, I am no different than anyone on the street except that I have Christ. Friends, do you look at people and think you are better than them, no matter how strange they are or how sinful they are? Do you feel superior and righteous when you compare yourself to them? If you do, that is not good. That means you are probably not depending on Christ's righteousness, but in some way, shape, or form, you are trusting in your own righteousness. You are comparing yourself with others and finding righteousness. And we can always do that. It's easy. Friends, if you are not self-righteous, this hospitality thing will be a lot easier. Because you will not be condemning and pointing the finger at everyone and feeling like you're better. Amen? Yeah. Okay, good. So, so I can confess that. No, you can confess that. You can tell everyone how self-righteous you are. Listen, I, I, I literally pray crazy prayers like, God, smash my pride. Crush my pride. Make me humble. And that means I'm inviting suffering. That's how he, that's how he does it. All right, let's finish this up. And he came, this is Jesus, reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, that's us, and peace to those who were near, that would be the, the Jewish people. For through him, we both have access to one spirit, to the Father, Holy Spirit and the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being built, uh, joined together, grows into a temple in the Lord, holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. See, the idea is we were once strangers, and God has welcomed us in, and now he's joining us to others to build a temple for himself to dwell. So yes, your body is a temple, of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God, but then in a whole nother sense, he's building something called the church in which together he dwells. And we were once strangers and aliens from this, the church. But listen, we were welcomed in. Can we not and should we not welcome in the strangers as we've been welcomed in? We should. 
And so all we're talking about is you, loving neighbor, loving God by loving your neighbor and welcoming the stranger in. Listen, it's going to be awkward. You're going to be offended. They're going to say things that you don't agree with. They're going to uh, talk in language that maybe you don't talk in anymore. They're going to have values that you don't have. And listen, your job is not to throw the judgment hammer down on them. Your, judge, your job is to love. Look, Jesus is the judge, not you. Your job is to love them and point them to Christ with your actions, with your words. Okay, so let's pray and let's ask God to make us these kinds of people who welcomes in the stranger. Father, thank you for this opportunity to pray. It is a great privilege and it is a great um, task, a, a great mission that you've called us to, to be disciple-making disciples. Father, as we were once strangers, as we were once alienated, alienated from your people, as we were once in darkness, so, Father, we would pray, make us ones who reach it, reaches out to those where we once were. Father, may we not uh, have self-righteousness in us, even a little bit. Father, may we rather have love and compassion and grace to extend to others, to the stranger, to the outsider. Father, would you make us people who are not afraid but rather bold and caring and compassionate. May we be gentle and respectful as we love on people. We thank you for this great gift. I pray that some of us, even this week, would have opportunities to practice this hospitality, the love of strangers, the love of the outsider. We thank you for welcoming us in when we were strangers and when we were outsiders. And you've reconciled us through the blood of Jesus. And it's in his name we, we pray. Amen.